Let's turn to Genesis 12. So we are studying the life of Abraham. Genesis 12 through 25, that's where we're going. And this morning, we're going to study how Abraham was able to be a blessing to other people. Jesus calls all of us to, to be a blessing everywhere we go, to everyone we meet, to, to be a blessing. And he called Abraham to be a blessing. And what we want to focus on is how was Abraham able to do this? Because as we see how he was able to do this, we will see how we are able to do this. But notice in Genesis 12 too, God does call Abram to be a blessing. Read that verse. Genesis 12 too, God says, And I will make of you, Abram, a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And then here's the whole purpose. So that you will be a blessing. So Abram's purpose was to be a blessing. To, to be a blessing means you love people, serve people, means you care for people. It means everywhere you go, you seek to relieve suffering, especially eternal suffering. So Abram was called to be a blessing everywhere he went and to everyone he met. So when he was there at work, he knew God's purpose was that he would be a blessing there at work. He knew that when he was at home with his wife, Sarah, and in the future when they had children, his purpose there was to be a blessing, to serve, to love Sarah and his kids. He knew that when he was with his neighbors who didn't know the Lord, his purpose was to be a blessing. So God's purpose for Abraham was to be a blessing, and that's God's purpose for us as well. But the question we have to raise is, how is that possible? How is it possible for Abraham, for us, to be a blessing everywhere we go and with everyone we meet? Because we have to admit it's hard to be a blessing, right? And the reason is, there's probably lots of reasons, but, but one I thought of is that when we bless others, it usually costs us something, right? When we bless others, there's usually cost to us. I mean, husbands, if you bless your wife by fixing the faucet in the hall bathroom, that might cost you the golf game, right? You may not have time for that that day, right? And we're glad to do it, right? Afterwards, I'll ask the same question at the end of the sermon. Okay. Uh, to bless your discouraged or struggling friend by just simply calling them up. How's it going? How are you? You said you were discouraged last Friday. What, what's happening? How can I pray for you? Talking to them, praying with them over the phone. That may cost you some time to, to read, to check the news, to watch TV. To bless a home group by joining them, loving them, encouraging them. That'll cost you some evenings, right? Uh, think about blessing an unreached people group a people group that has no access to the gospel, to go there, to share the gospel with them, to live there, that would cost you comfort. That would cost you security, right? So can you feel how to be a blessing to others is costly? Can you feel that? Yes, we feel that. Yes, do you? Does that make sense? Whenever we seek to be a blessing to others, it'll cost us something. And that's why it's hard. So here's the question. How was Abram supposed to be a blessing and the answer is also in the verse we just read, Genesis 12, 2. Look at what we read here, what God says to Abram. God says, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. 
So how is it possible for Abram to bless others? It's because God is blessing him and promises to continue to bless him. The way Abram can bless others, even though it's costly, is because he knows God's been blessing me and God's going to continue blessing me and his blessing of me will more than make up for whatever cost comes as I seek to bless others. God promises to bless him. That's how Abram can be a blessing. Now, let's be clear on what does it mean for God to bless us. Abram ended up very wealthy. We'll see that this morning. We'll see that more as the chapters unfold. But that is not what God promises to every believer by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, look at Paul, right? Look at Peter. I mean, look at the disciples. Abram had a unique role in salvation history, which warranted and required him to be very wealthy. But this is not what God promises to each of us. And that shouldn't disappoint us, because what God does promise us is infinitely better than that. So because of Jesus' death on the cross, and by faith alone we're joined to Jesus and all he is to us, there's three promises I want to highlight. Forgiveness, joy, and provision. Forgiveness... By faith alone, all of our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. We're reconciled to God. We know the living God in the person of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness, and because we know him, there's joy. Knowing God is the joy you are all looking for. Don't be looking in the wrong places. The joy you're looking for is in knowing God in the person of Jesus, worshiping him, fellowshipping with him, trusting him, pouring out your soul before him, asking for his help, glorifying him. That's where joy comes. So there's forgiveness, there's heart-filling joy, and then there's provision. He'll promise to provide everything you need, not necessarily want, but everything you need in order to have the greatest joy in him now and forever. So forgiveness, joy, and provision. Those are the promises. And so that's how Abram could be a blessing to others because he knew God promised forgiveness of sins. I know God. There's the joy of knowing God. My heart's overflowing with joy in him, and God's going to provide everything I need in him for the rest of my life and on into eternity. Outpouring of blessing so I can keep blessing others. Picture yourself as a water tank. Here's an illustration that I have found helpful. So you're, you're a water tank, and God calls you to be a blessing to everyone and every, every, everyone you meet, everywhere you go. And whenever you bless someone, it's like you're pouring out a little bit of the water of blessing. So you're a, you're a water tank and the water of blessing poured out upon your wife, caring for her, loving her. Water of blessing upon your kids, caring for them, loving them. Uh, water of blessing upon that one person at work. You're going to bless them too, right? You know that person at work, right? You're blessing them, pouring out water, blessing upon them. People in your neighborhood... What's the problem? If you keep pouring out the water of blessing, your water level is going to drop, 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 right? So how do you keep being a blessing? It's because before you even start, God's pouring the water of blessing into you, right? Oh, I'm forgiven. Father, I know you through Jesus. You're glorious. I love worshiping you. You've promised to provide everything I'm ever going to need. And so the water of blessing is coming from God to you, and so you're able to flow out the water of blessing from you to others. See how that works? The water of blessing is coming from God to you so that then you can continue to flow the water of blessing out to others. That's how Abram was going to be able to continue to be a blessing. Abram was able to bless others Because he trusted God's promise to bless him. That's the lesson. Now, 
In chapters 3 and 14, we're going to see two instances in Abram's life where he lived that out, and he did it. So let's start with chapter 13. Ask the question, how does Abram bless Lot, his nephew Lot, regarding the land? And look at what we read in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 13. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. So Abram took time intentionally to worship God and to call upon God. Now, I just thought of, I saw this this last week. Remember last week in chapter 12 when Abram was not a blessing to Sarah? Asked her to lie about, I'm not his wife, I'm his sister. So Pharaoh took her into his harem. Remember that horrifying story? Abram was not a blessing to Sarah, right? There's no hint of any altars being built when Abram was in Egypt. Because think of what a difference it would have made. He's, he's almost ready to enter Egypt. Let's build an altar. I'm going to call upon the Lord. And Abram starts to worship God. You're faithful. You're good. You're sovereign over everything. You've promised to bless me. I trust you. Strengthen my faith. Help me to be a blessing everywhere I go in Egypt. Help me to bless Sarah. Help me to bless Pharaoh. Help me to bless everyone. Strengthen me to trust your blessing. Here we go. You think he would have lied about Sarah had he built an altar and focused on the Lord as he was heading in? There's no way. But there was no altar built. There was no calling on the Lord. And that's one of the reasons why Abram sinned and was not a blessing to Sarah or to Pharaoh in Genesis chapter 12. But here, it seems like maybe he's learned his lesson. We see Abram returning to the altar he'd already built, and he calls on the name of the Lord. How are you doing in getting time with the Lord where you put everything else aside it's you and God the Father through Jesus, by the Spirit, and you worship the Lord. You say, help me, help me strengthen my faith. You pour your soul out before the Lord. I'm fearful about this. I'm concerned about this. Help me to trust your promises. You study his promises. You study his word. Help me to trust that you're going to bless me. Lord, help me to be a blessing now everywhere I go because you're going to bless me. How are you doing getting that time with the Lord? It is so incredibly important, which is one of the reasons Moses highlights it in these chapters that we've seen. So Abram returns to the altar, calls upon the Lord, and it was good that he did that because in verses 5 through 7, a problem arises. Verse 5, and Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Okay, so Abram had flocks and herds and tents. Lot had flocks and herds and tents. No room for both of them in the land. Abram could have said at this point, you know, Lot, I guess this just isn't going to work out. And God did promise the land to me. 
Lord bless you. Bye-bye. Right? Abram could have said that. That is not what Abram did. Abram trusted, God, you've blessed me. You are blessing me. You will continue to bless me. Any losses I receive from blessing others, you will more than make up by blessing me. So what does Abram do? This is shocking. Verses 8 and 9. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand land, I'll go to the left. So Abram let Lot choose. Lot, there it is. You choose where you want to live. I'll live elsewhere. Okay? And this choice would have made a massive difference depending on what Lot chose because we look at what we read in verse 10. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere. So you're looking down at Jordan Valley, it's like green, okay? Farmland, lush, fertile farmland, okay? Well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord. What's the garden of the Lord? That's the garden of Eden back in Genesis chapter 2. Well watered, lush, fertile, productive farmland, like the land of Egypt. So three phrases Moses uses to help us understand. Well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, the delta of Egypt, lush, productive farmland in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. That's to point ahead towards Genesis 18. We'll get there in a few weeks. But so the Jordan Valley was lush, productive farmland. The alternative was not lush, productive farmland, like barren hillsides, okay, scrub, that sort of thing. So this choice that Lot made was going to make a huge difference in the lives of Abram and Lot. One of them was going to end up down in the lush, fertile farmland, growing bumper crops and raising massive you know, herds of all kinds of livestock, being very wealthy. The other one was going to be up on the hillside, maybe growing a few beans, maybe raising a couple chickens, maybe. Okay? Do you feel what Moses wants us to feel here at this point? So look at what's at stake. And Abram lets Lot choose. You choose, Lot. Now, why did Abram let Lot choose? Because Abram trusted God's promise to bless him. God has promised he would bless me. He's called me to be a blessing everywhere I go. Oh, this could be very costly, depending on what Lot chooses. But God, you will bless me and more than make up for whatever losses I incur in the path of being a blessing. And so what does Lot choose? Verses 11 through 13. Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley. Really, Abram? Woohoo! I'll take it. Thank you, you know. And Lot journeyed east, thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Again, getting us ready for what's going to happen in chapter 18 with Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, so Abram blessed Lot by letting him choose. And the reason he did this was because he trusted God's promise to bless him. God has said, Abram, you be a blessing. Everywhere you go, with everyone you meet, I will bless 
you. And Abram trusted God and let Lot choose. And so then what does God do? This is beautiful. Verse 14, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward, Jordan Valley and beyond and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. Feel that? I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent, came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. So Lot chose the fertile Jordan Valley. He's just blessed at great cost to himself. Is God going to be faithful? What's God going to do? Abram, right? Look north. Look south. Look east over the Jordan Valley and beyond. Look west. Abram, I'm going to give it all to you. Build an altar, right? Praise God. Worship God. Do you see how God does this? Blesses Abram, faithful to Abram. God, you promised you'd bless me as I was a blessing you're faithful to your promises. Do you see the lesson that Moses wants to teach us here? The reason we can be a blessing everywhere we go is because God promises, I have blessed you, I will bless, I am blessing you, and I will bless you. And that's what we see displayed here. The reason Abraham blessed Lot was because he trusted God to bless him. And the reason we can be a blessing to others is because we trust God to bless us. Abram trusted God to bless him, and God did. Look north, south, east, west. We can trust God to bless us, and God will. That's the first example, chapter 13. Next, chapter 14. How does Abram bless Lot when he had been captured, when Lot had been captured? Notice what Abraham does in the last verse of chapter 13, though. Again, he builds an altar to the Lord. See that? So again, picture Abram. Builds an altar, calls upon the name of the Lord. He's worshiping God. You are faithful. You are good. You've been so good to, your prom to keep your promises. He studies God's promises. This is what you've promised to be to me. I've got forgiveness through what the Messiah would do. You've promised this blessing to me. Strengthen me to trust you. Help me to be a blessing now as I head into this next season of my life. And it's good that Abram built an altar to the Lord because of what happens in chapter 14. Chapter, uh, verses 1 through 10 gives some historical, political background. Let me just summarize it. Uh, Lot was down in the Valley of Jordan, and there were some kings down in the Valley of the Jordan who had been conquered by kings further to the northeast. They'd come and they'd conquered those kings, and they were paying taxes to those kings in the northeast. And the kings in the Jordan Valley, they were tired of paying taxes. You know, that can be. And so, they said, let's, let's just rebel against the kings to the east. We're going to stop paying taxes. Well, the kings northeast, they, didn't, they wanted the taxes, so they came and they reconquered all the kings down in the Jordan Valley where Lot lived, and they took people captive. They took Lot captive and all their possessions, and they headed back up to the northeast. They just came in, conquered, stole, and they're heading back, okay? So pick up the story in verse 11. So the enemy, that is the kings to the northeast, 
took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah, that's in the Jordan Valley, and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions, and went their way. Then one who had escaped, hadn't been taken prison, prisoner by these kings, one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew who was living by the oaks of Mamre the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and of Aner. These were allies of Abram. So someone came and told Abram, Abram, these kings from the northeast have just conquered the valley of the Jordan. They've taken Lot, all the possessions in the whole valley. They've taken people captive. They're gone. Your nephew's a captive now. Well, think of how Abram might have responded. He could have said, well, he chose the valley. Serves him right. Selfish, selfish, selfish. Right? Some of us might have responded that way. It's not how Abram responded. It's not what he did. Remember, he had just been at the altar. God, I praise you for your faithfulness, your mercy, your goodness, your promises to me. You are so good. Help me to trust you. Help me to trust that you'll bless me. You have blessed me. Help me to trust your promise of blessing. Help me to be a blessing now everywhere I go. Amen. And then he gets this word. And so what does Abram do? Verse 14. When Abram heard that his kinsman, Lot, had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house. I mean, just kind of part of his extended tribal group there. 318 of them and went in pursuit as far as Dan. So Abram gathered as many people as he could, and he went to save Lot. So once again, he chose to bless Lot. Now think of how much this could have cost him. Not just the 318 men, if they were conquered by these northeastern kings, but he could have lost his own life in the process. Do you feel that? This isn't just wealth we're talking about here. This is your life. His life was at stake. So why did he choose to be a blessing if it could have cost him so much? It's because he was trusting God's promise. I will bless you so that you can be a blessing. He trusted God's promise. And look at what happens. Verses 15 and 16. He and he, Abram, divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them to Hobah north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions all the possessions, and also brought back his kinsman Lot with his possessions and the women and the people. So Abram defeated the northeast kings, brought back Lot with all of his possessions. Just let this just sink in now. Abram chose the path of being a blessing. He chose the path of risk-taking, sacrificial, costly love. Do you see that here? Because he trusted God. You said you're going to bless me. You've called me to be a blessing. This could be very costly, but I trust you. You're going to bless me. Here we go. So he took the path of risk-taking, sacrificial, costly love because he trusted God's promise to bless him. And church, that's what God calls us to do as well. He calls us to take the path not of comfort and security, but the path of risk-taking, sacrificial, costly love. So we're walking on this path. Now, why would we be on this path? Because God has promised, I will bless you. I will bless you. 
But it might be costly. It might be costly. But I will bless you. This is so powerful. I mean, it is so easy to just walk on the path of comfort and security, right? But God says, be a blessing. Jesus says, be a blessing. Lay your life down for people. Powerful, powerful story. So God calls us to take the path of risk-taking, sacrificial love. Like for those around us who maybe are, even here this morning, discouraged to, to love, to reach out. For, for the poor and the needy around us here at Abu Dhabi, take the path of costly, risk-taking sacrifice. For, for unreached peoples who would never otherwise hear the good news of Jesus, to take the path of costly, risk-taking, because God says, I will bless you. You will never be on this path and have God not blessing you far more than the cost you're receiving, ever. Blessing, 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 more than making up for the cost. That's the picture we see here in Abraham. The story does not stop here, though. Verses 17 through 24, Abram comes back to the Jordan Valley, and he's met by two kings. Interesting story here. Start with verses 17 through 20. After his return from the defeat of Cherdolaomer, that's one of the northeastern kings, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. If you want to learn more about Melchizedek, Psalm 110, Hebrews 8, very important figure. Melchizedek is obviously a believer. He's a priest of God at this point. So he brings out bread and wine. You, you always think communion, and there may be a pointer towards communion. Communion is a New Testament institution, but for sure he's bringing him provision. He's blessing him. That's clearly the picture. And then he continues to bless him. Verse 19, he, Melchizedek, blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of, of the plunder, of his share of the plunder. Okay, so Melchizedek is a believer, brings provision to Abram here. And then he prays and he asks God, God bless him. Bless him, right? He speaks that prayer blessing over Abram. Bless him. And then he blesses God for blessing Abram. Bless you for how you've delivered a lot into Abram's hands here for taking care of that. So that's the king of, that's Melchizedek. King of righteousness is what that literally means. The priest of God. Now look at the king of Sodom, verses 21 through 24. The king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons but take the goods for yourself. What he's saying is, uh, return the people of Sodom back to me so they can be part of my kingdom, but you can keep all of the plunder that was taken from Sodom. Well, that would have been a sizable amount, right? Let the people come back to Sodom to say thank you. You keep all the plunder that was taken from Sodom. That's what he's saying. Verse 22, but Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord. God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread 
or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Oner, Eshkol, and Mamre take their share. Now, what's going on here? The king of Sodom offered to give Abram his, the king of Sodom's, share of the plunder. But see, Abram knew how wicked the king of Sodom was. And Abram had already previously committed that he would take nothing from the king of Sodom because Abram knew that the king of Sodom would twist that so that Abram's blessing would look like the king of Sodom would say, oh, it came from me, the king of Sodom, not from God. This is me, my benevolence, my largesse, my blessing to him. So the king of Sodom would have twisted it. So instead of Abram's blessing glorifying God, it would have glorified the king of Sodom. Abram said, no, that is not going to happen. No, thank you. Keep all that wealth to yourself. Thank you. Do you feel, again, Abram's being a blessing. How? He wants all the people around to be blessed with the true knowledge of God. God pours out his grace and mercy upon us. This is not the king of Sodom's doing. This is God's doing. He wanted all the people to see God is glorious. God is gracious. God is loving. God is good. And so to bless them with the true knowledge of God, he said no to a fortune financially. You feel that? Abram is being a blessing. He's, he's still walking the path of risk-taking, sacrificial, costly love. And what does God do next? I love this. Chapter divisions were not in the original Hebrew Old Testament. Chapter 15, 1 comes right after this, and look at what God does. Chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the Lord came to Abram in a vision Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Woo! Isn't that awesome? Do you feel that? Such a powerful, faithful, good God we have. Mm. So God says, yes, Abram, you've, you've given up great wealth so people can clearly see who, who I am, who God is. I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So here's the lesson from these two chapters. Abram was a blessing to everyone he met, everywhere he went. He was a blessing, he was a blessing, he was a blessing. And the reason was because he trusted God to bless him. God is going, God has given me already forgiveness. God has satisfied me in himself. God will continue to fill my heart with his love, beholding his glory, and God will provide everything I need the rest of my life through eternity in such a way that I'll have the greatest joy in him. My present and my future are set. I can bless. We call it risk-taking. There's no risk. God will bless. God will bless. God will bless. So here's the question. Think of someone you are struggling to bless. Maybe, maybe somebody back in your home country who's hurt you. Uh, maybe your wife or your husband. Maybe somebody at the workplace who has wronged you in some ways. Maybe some call to ministry that you have felt maybe is the Lord, but you're feeling like that would be too costly, that, that would be too risky for me to take. 
Think of some blessing, some people, some person that you're struggling to bless. My guess is we all have one. If you haven't thought of one yet, just take another couple seconds and think a little more deeply. Think about who you're struggling to bless. And then think about God calls you to bless them. He's calling you to bless them. You be a blessing, Genesis 12, 2. Bless those who hurt you, Jesus said. Bless and curse not. Bless them. Bless them. Jesus calls us to be a blessing. So you're struggling to bless them, but God stands before you in Christ and he says, I'm calling you to bless that person. Bless those people. And the reason you can bless them is why? It's because God has blessed you in Christ. God is blessing you in Christ. And God stands before you and says, I will greatly bless you so that you can be a blessing. So, be a blessing. Grace Church, are, are we hearing God's word to us this morning? Trust his promise to bless you. That's where it starts. Build the altar. Call upon the Lord. Do it this afternoon. Do it tomorrow morning. Do it the next morning. Trust God's promise of blessing because from that will flow blessing. And he will be faithful to his promise and bless you as you bless others. Let's stand together and pray about this. What a faithful God you are. Here's Abram blessing others in costly ways, letting Lot choose the lush river valley, pursuing Lot to save him, risking his life. And every time you blessed Abram, every time, and the same will be true for us. Lord, you, you are already blessing us. Without us doing anything, you've blessed us in Christ with forgiveness, with new hearts, with faith and repentance, with relationship with you. Lord, you've been blessing us with provision and with your love poured into our hearts and with outpourings of your spirit and filling us with your joy. And Lord, you've promised that you will bless us. You will bless us as we are a blessing to others. So I pray that you would strengthen our trust in your promise that you will bless us and through that free us to give our lives, to pour our lives out for those around us, Lord, who need you, who need our love, who need our care, who need the gospel. Do this, we pray. In Jesus' name.